Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. It is a new month, and I have been asked to remind you, announce, I guess, uh, new classes this quarter, and some of those, several of those classes are just continuing, but I've been asked to let you know that the woman's class, the ladies' class, is starting a new quarter. So there will be a ladies' class right after worship here uh, over in the Family Life Center, uh, and it'll be great, like all the other classes that are offered. They'll be great. So um, we have been trying to remind you of Mission Sunday that is coming up the end of this month. I want to remind you that in two weeks, Easter is going to be here. In the next two weeks, is it? Wait a minute. Next Sunday is Easter? I knew that. I'm testing you. I didn't know that. I really didn't know that. I thought it was two weeks from now. It kind of slips. See, it slips up on us, right? All the more reason. This makes this so much more timely. We have one week now to have people come with us and worship with us. You have a better chance this week now to have people join you at worship next Sunday. Uh, better than any other time of the year. You got a better chance of yes in this coming week than any other time of the year. So, be thinking about that, be praying about that, be asking people to join you next Sunday for worship. We're going to have room, we'll make room, but uh, it's going to be a great day, just like today. We are wrapping up uh, this week this sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And back at the end of last year, when a couple women asked me in the ladies' class to preach a couple sermons on the Holy Spirit, that was my plan. I was going to preach a couple sermons on the Holy Spirit. One, maybe two. This is now week number six of this series through the Holy Spirit. And if you've been paying attention, we have barely scratched the surface on the purpose and the person and the workings of the Holy Spirit. So I hope that a time will come in the maybe the not-too-distant future when we'll be able to come back and revisit this subject. But we're going to wrap it up, this part of the series, at least uh, this morning. And I have been trying for the past six weeks to focus especially on what Jesus had to say in that upper room, John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And what we are going to focus on this morning is an area that I think we all need some help with. And that's the area of peace. Because we all want peace. And we're all searching for peace. And this morning I want to take a look at how Jesus addresses the Holy Spirit's role in our search for peace. So he says in John chapter 15, in that upper room, If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. And then two verses later, he tells his disciples, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And then just a couple verses later, he says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Jesus is telling his disciples, if you're worried about people hating you, get in line. They hated me first. And people are going to hate you. Because you're following me. In fact, <clears throat> people are going to persecute you. They're going to put you out of the synagogue, which to a first century Jewish person was a huge deal. 
Not quite as big a deal as being killed, but it was, it was a huge deal. But Jesus says, yeah, some of you are going to be killed as well. Now, if I'm in that upper room and I'm listening to Jesus talk this way, I've got to be thinking, so tell me again why this is such a good idea. You know, you don't hear very many preachers preach in a sermon. If you follow Jesus, people are going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. You're going to be kicked out of church. Some of you are going to be killed if you follow Jesus. Let's stand and sing. You don't hear that sermon very often, do you? But a sermon you will hear from time to time, especially in American churches, is if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy. And you're going to be wealthy. And everything is going to be great all the time. And for you to believe that message, you've got to completely disregard what Jesus has to say. Because Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is coming. He's being completely transparent with them. He said, listen, you need to expect trouble. But there's a way to handle trouble. In fact, he promises help, not when, not, not if trouble comes, but actually when trouble comes. So I think it's significant how Jesus begins this conversation in chapters 14, 15, and 16, this whole, this whole conversation in the upper room. Uh, I want you to notice how he begins the conversation in John chapter 14, verse 1. He tells his followers, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Okay, wait a minute. You're, you're telling us that people are going to hate us. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. Some of us might be killed. And Jesus says, well, that's, that's all true, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is expecting his disciples to somehow be able to rise above everything that's trying to pull them down. Jesus is, again, being transparent, saying, listen, troubles are going to come. But a troubled heart doesn't have to be a part of the package. Now, we need to be sure that we understand that Jesus is not talking about the kind of troubles that come because of our poor choices, or because of our rebellion, or because of our disobedience. You know, the scripture is very clear that we're going to reap what we sow. And if we are sowing seeds of disobedience and, and, uh, and you know, strife and problems, we're going to have a hard harvest. Don't go blaming God when you get that hard harvest because of your poor decisions. What Jesus is talking about is the kind of trouble that is going to come because you have chosen to follow a man that the world crucified. You do that and, and some troubles are going to come because the world that we live in is, is fallen. There's evil and people rebel against God. Have, have you noticed that it seems like our world is drifting Farther away from God, not closer to God. Anybody else notice that? Is that just me? Yeah. Um, seems like the world is getting more and more eager to not just embrace, but actually celebrate some of the things that God warns us against. You know, as followers of Jesus, we don't have the home court advantage anymore. And I'm not sure that we ever have. Philip Yancey tells a story about a conversation that he had with, with a Muslim man who told him, I've read the Koran several times through, and I can't find any instruction in the Koran that instructs a Muslim man how to, how to, how to uh, exist in a minority context. He said, I've also read the New Testament several times through. 
And I can't find anywhere that the New Testament instructs a Christian how to live in a majority context. And I think he's right. Jesus' followers, we've always been the visiting team. In fact, I would argue that Jesus' followers are usually at their best when they're in the minority. As far as being a witness, as far as testifying to, uh, to Jesus Christ. We can't avoid trouble. But we can make sure that our hearts aren't troubled. But to do that, we need some help. So look at what Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 26. But the counselor, again, your version might say the advocate, the helper. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And then look at Jesus' very next words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And then again he says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The very thing that Jesus says immediately following the promise of the Holy Spirit is, I am giving you peace. I am sending the Holy Spirit to help you in this troubled world to help us live without a troubled heart. And Jesus makes sure that we understand that the, prom- the promise of this power, and the, the power, the promise of the, pro- the power of the promise, oh my goodness, the, too many P words here. The promise of the power far trumps the troubles that might be headed our way. Paul is going to echo Jesus' thoughts in Romans chapter 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Following Jesus does not mean that we're going to live a life free of pain. It does mean that we have this potential to live a supernatural existence of goodness and joy and peace through the person of the Holy Spirit. So the question obviously becomes is, okay, how do I get this peace? Because I really want this peace. Because I am living in a troubled world. Because I do have problems. So how do I enjoy, how do I, uh, how do I get this peace that Jesus is talking about? Because the first thing that's going to happen when life gets hard, Satan's going to try to get you to start doubting God. It's the first thing he does. When troubles come, Satan's going to try to convince you, you can't really trust God. So the Holy Spirit is going to remind us that our salvation has been sealed. The Holy Spirit is going to remind us of the confidence that we have in the promises of God. Remember when Jesus was baptized? The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descended. And then the voice of God spoke. said, this is my beloved Son and who I am well pleased. The Spirit didn't show up to, 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 to claim Jesus, to make Jesus the Son of God. The Spirit was there because Jesus was the Son of God. And God wants us to have that exact same assurance. Galatians chapter 4. We sang about it. Dave's back singing with the kids, but we just sang this song. And because we are his sons, God has sent the Spirit of God into our hearts. So now we can rightly speak of God as our dear Father. Now we are no longer slaves 
but God's own sons. And since we are his sons, everything he has belongs to us. That's the way God planned. The Holy Spirit gives you assurances that you are a child of God and that we are heirs of God. You say, yeah, but, but sometimes I mess up. Holy Spirit knows that. But that doesn't change your status because your status has been conferred by God and God doesn't change. And if you allow yourself to be open to the Spirit, if, if you allow yourself to be reminded of that, you're going to find some peace. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. Paul is comparing the Holy Spirit to a seal. And we don't use seals too much anymore. We don't talk about seals very often anymore. But in the first century, Paul's readers would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. Seals were used for a couple things in the first century. One thing a seal was used for was to stamp an invoice basically paid in full. When you paid an invoice, when you, paid, when you settled a debt, a seal was used. And what that seal usually said was, this is kind of cool, it is finished. That was on the seal. So you think it's kind of neat that when you were saved, the Holy Spirit comes and stamps you with the last words of Jesus. It's finished. Our debt has been paid. Our sins have been covered. He comes as evidence that our sins are gone. And the second thing that the seals were used for in Paul's day was to legally validate ownership. You, you put a seal on something if you owned it. Remember when Jesus was buried, the Romans came and they put a seal on the tomb. That was their way of saying, this tomb belongs to us, don't mess with it. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is God's proof of purchase when it comes to our souls. He's confirming that, that we belong to Him. We've been bought with a price. We've been purchased by God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. I am mine no more. I've been bought with blood. I am mine no more. My body, my life, this, this temple belongs to God. The Holy Spirit is sealing my salvation. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. This, this is great, by the way. Pay attention to this verse. This is really good. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You wrap your mind around that verse, you're going to find some peace. Calvin Coolidge, the President of the United States, uh, was known as Silent Cal, right? He was a man of very few words. One of his first uh, forays into public service, he ran for the mayor of Northampton, Virginia. And actually, he won, but barely. He won by less than 200 votes. 
The next day, he's walking down the sidewalk, and someone approaches him and says, Cal, I hear you won the election, but I want you to know I didn't vote for you. And silent Cal just said, well, somebody did. (laughs) And so when the enemy attacks, when the enemy tries to, to shake our confidence in God, the Holy Spirit reminds us, you have been elected by God. We are God's elect, and nothing is going to change the results. Think about it. To, to unseal something, you've got to be stronger than the one who sealed it. Well, who is stronger than the Holy Spirit of God? Who is able to unseal your salvation? You know, what that means is we don't have to toss and turn at night. We don't have to worry, am I in, am I out? Am I lost? Am I saved? Because the Holy Spirit has sealed our salvation. And that is good news in a world that is so wicked and so broken, so evil. And because of that, Scripture also tells us that through the Holy Spirit, this is pretty big, transformation is being revealed. Transformation isn't just happening, it's being revealed. In other words, troubles, tough circumstances, hard times. That can't stop the good work that God is doing in us through the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's being revealed in us. What we're going through right now, that's no comparison to the glory that is being revealed in us. Yes, the world is an evil place. Yes, there's lots of struggles. But... The promise of Scripture is that God is doing something through the Holy Spirit, not just for us, but He is doing something through the Holy Spirit in us, something that is being revealed to the world. And whatever it is you're going through won't stop, won't prevent us from becoming more like Jesus. So a little later in the same chapter, Paul says in verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We quote that verse all the time. We don't usually add verse 29, but we should. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are predestined to conform to the likeness of Jesus. It has always been God's eternal plan to shape you into the image of Christ. How does he do that? He sends his very spirit into our hearts. Again, don't take my word for it. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into His likeness. And that transformation comes through the Spirit. Yeah, we are not promised green grass and high tides the rest of our lives. But we are promised that in a very broken world, in the middle of real trouble, 
our hearts don't have to be troubled. God is doing something. God's up to something. And through the Holy Spirit, He's up to something in your life right now. If you're a baseball fan, you will recognize the name R.A. Dickey. He won the Cy Young Award in 2012. He was drafted in 1996, drafted in the first round by the Texas Rangers, um, out of the University of Tennessee, by the way. Uh, he signed for a contract of $810,000. And he talks about being a kid from Tennessee who was a strong believer in Jesus. And he is so excited about being drafted into the Major League Baseball. And the, the Rangers are going to be his team. And, and he's so excited that his dream of playing baseball is finally going to come true. And he talks about walking to the meeting with the general manager. He says he's walking down the hall and he's praying to God as he walks down the hall. And he's thanking God for this wonderful opportunity, this gigantic door that's open. And he's just so thankful to God to have this opportunity. And he walks in and he sits down across the table from the general manager. And the first thing the general manager says was, we are rescinding your contract. They've done a physical on R.A. Dickey and found out that his pitching arm was missing the ulnar collateral ligament. And they didn't feel like he was going to be able to pitch on a major league level without that ligament. R.A. Dickey said, I saw my lifelong dream evaporate. And he said, I wasn't just angry. I was furious. I wanted to reach across the table and unload on this guy who's just taken away my dream. And then this is what he writes. But it's as if there was a strong hand on my shoulder holding me back, giving me pause. And in that instance, I had self-control that I didn't have just a moment earlier. I actually sensed a voice telling me, relax, I've got you. This isn't the end of the world. I've got you. And I thought to myself, I have just been talking to God. Now he's talking to me giving me self-control that couldn't have come from anywhere else. So my anger passed. I'm crushed by the news, but I wasn't going to do something stupid because I could hear the Spirit of God tell me, I've got you. I don't know what you've thought about this series on the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know what you think about the work or the workings of the Holy Spirit. I know traditionally we've been a little bit hesitant to present the Holy Spirit because so many people misrepresent the Holy Spirit due to bad teaching or, or bad theology, and it's kind of easy to, to push the Spirit aside. But listen, you don't need the Holy Spirit. If all you aspire in life is to be a pretty good person and go to church every now and then, you can do that all by yourself. But... If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you want to be a follower of the Son of God, if you want to allow God to use you to be a light in a very dark world, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without the help of the Spirit. And in a very troubled world, you can hear Him say, listen, Jesus has this. Jesus is Lord. He has this. He has you. You know, we started this thing in John chapter 14, verse 1, where Jesus starts this discourse in the upper room by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
I want you to notice how he ends this conversation with the disciples. And I bet you've never noticed it before. Maybe you have, but I thought it was pretty uh, interesting. He starts John chapter 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then in John chapter 16, he says, I have told you these things. All these things that we've talked about the past six weeks. All this stuff about truth, all this stuff about obedience, all this stuff uh, about goodness, all this stuff about trouble. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the world you will have trouble. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Last Monday morning, a shooter walked into a grade school in Nashville, Tennessee, murdered three children and three adults. And the heartache and the devastation that those families are going to deal with for the rest of their lives is unimaginable. My daughter was teaching grade school, uh, preschool, um, not very far from where that shooting happened. Her three children were in three different schools within a two-mile radius of that shooting. She called me Monday morning. She was in tears. And she said, Dad, what am I going to tell my kids? How am I going to possibly explain this to my children? I can't understand it myself. I can't process this evil. What do I tell my kids? What do I do, Dad? And I said, well... You pray for wisdom, and you pray for gentleness, and you pray for patience while you're trying to explain this to your, to your kids. And I told her the only peace you're ever going to find is the realization that Jesus has overcome the world. In such a broken world with so much evil, the only peace you're going to find is the realization that God is in charge. And he knows exactly what's going on. And as hard as it is for us to understand it, Jesus has overcome the world. Troubles will come. But Jesus has overcome. And I think maybe that's one reason why Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. We need to allow the Spirit to, to comfort our hearts. We need to be reminded we're children of God. We are heirs of the Father. Yeah, we're going to get hurt. We're going to be betrayed by a friend. Our bodies are going to wear out. People that we love are going to get sick. Somebody's going to hate me. But take heart. That Jesus that we serve, that Jesus that we love, He has overcome the world. Peace isn't the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of the Holy Spirit telling us, don't be overwhelmed. Jesus has overcome. Life can be incredibly overwhelming. We all know that. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus has overcome. And I hope that message, I hope the things that we've talked about these past six weeks, I hope that message is able to make it from here to, to here. The realization of everything that Jesus has promised and Jesus talks about in that upper room. It's real, it's true, it's trustworthy. 
And I want to close this sermon with a prayer. I want to close this series with a prayer. And I actually want to use the same prayer that Paul prayed for his brothers and sisters who were living in Rome. People that he knew and loved that were undergoing a tremendous amount of persecution. People who were living in a troubled world. And this was his prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to say that verse with me, say that prayer with me, and our lesson will be completed. Let's, let's pray it together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and be standing.